their father's households, one animal per household. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbour nearest his household are select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each person will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, a year old animal. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day of this month, then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat them. They are to eat the they to eat the meat that night. They should eat it, roast it over the fire along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roast it over fire, its head as well as its legs and inner organs. Do not let any of it remain until morning. You must burn up any part of it that does not remain until morning. Here's how you must eat it. Dress for travel, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day is to be memorial for you, and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it through, throughout your generations as a permanent statue. You must eat unleavened bread for seven days. On the first day, you must remove yeast from your houses. Whoever eats what, what is leavened from the first day through the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. You are to hold a sacred assembly on the first day and another sacred assembly on the seventh day. No work may be done on those days except for preparing what people need to eat. You may only do that. You are to observe the festival unleavened bread... Because on this very day I brought your ranks out of the land of Egypt. You must observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent statute. You are to eat unleavened bread in the first month from the evening of the 14th day of the month until the evening of the 21st day. Yeast must not be found in your houses for seven days. If anyone eats something leavened, that person, whether a foreign resident or a native of the land, must be cut off from the community of Israel. Do not eat anything leavened. Eat unleavened bread in all your homes." Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go, select an animal from the flock according to your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and brush the lintel and the two doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. None of you may go out the door of his house until morning. When the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, he will pass over the door and not let the destroyer enter your houses to strike you. Keep this command permanently as a statute for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you are to observe this ritual. When your children ask you, what does this ritual mean to you? You are to reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and spared our homes. So the people bowed down and worshipped. Then the Israelites went and did this. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. Now at midnight, the Lord struck every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and every firstborn of the livestock. During the night, Pharaoh got up, he along with all his officials and all of the Egyptians, and there was a loud wailing throughout Egypt, because there wasn't a house without someone dead. He summoned Moses and Aaron during the night and said, Get up, leave my people, both you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have asked. Take even your flocks and your herds as you asked and leave, and this will also be a blessing to me. 
Now the Egyptians pressured the people in order to send them quickly out of the country, for they said, we're all going to die. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, with their kneading bowls wrapped up in their clothes on their shoulders. The Israelites acted on Moses' word and asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewellery and for clothing. And the Lord gave the people such favour in the Egyptians' sight that they gave them what they requested. In this, th- in this way, they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites travelled from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 soldiers on foot beside their families. An ethnic diverse crowd also went up with them, along with a huge number of livestock, both flocks and herds. The people baked the dough they had brought out of Egypt in unleavened loaves, since they had no yeast. For when they had been driven out of Egypt, they could not delay and had not prepared any provisions for themselves. The time the Israelites lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that same day, all the divisions of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of vigil in honour of the Lord because he would bring them out of the land of Egypt. This same night is in honour of the Lord, a night vigil for all the Israelites throughout their generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Mick, for uh, reading that long reading. Do keep that open. We're actually going to look at chapters 12 to 14 tonight. We could try and get through quite a lot. Tonight we come to the climax of the rescue that we've seen taking place over the last couple of weeks. It's the climax to a spectacular rescue, the one that blows all the special effects budget in the movie. As Yahweh delivers one last decisive final strike on Egypt and then delivers his people as he peels back an ocean like you and I would open a door. It beats uh, the rescue that Luke Luke Skywalker does for Princess Leia by a mile. And it beats James Bond's rescue of Halle Berry in an invisible car from a melting ice palace by loads. But we're not meant to compare this rescue to the movies. We're meant to think of the cross. You see, as the Bible explains the cross, as the New Testament explains what happened on the cross, it points back to the Exodus, to these chapters, so that we can understand the rescue of the cross. You see, the the Exodus is the biblical equivalent of one of those little Cadbury's favorites. You know, the little chocolates, the bit, the thing that gives you uh, just a little taste of the full calorie big version. Well, so too, when we look at the Exodus rescue, we get just a little taste of the big rescue that happened on the cross. It's like a foreshadow of the cross. But it's not here so that we will win pub trivia, uh, that we would win the Bible round in pub trivia. It's here so that we would remember the cross. Remember, that's, that's the key word for tonight. And it's the reason it feels like somebody has stepped on the remote control in our passage and switched the channel over to MasterChef. So we get all this stuff about blood and lambs and baking bread. It's also that Israel would not forget their rescue. And Exodus is here so that we would not forget the rescue that Jesus does for us. Because we so easily forget that rescue, don't we? We so easily forget it. When crisis strikes, panic kicks in, and we forget that we are rescued by the cross. 
when suffering hits, we act like God's forgotten us. And in good times, well, we don't need Jesus in the good times, do we? Because Sydney's so good. Sydney is so good. And we don't need him. So we diarize Jesus. We fit him in during the week and on a Saturday evening. A couple of hours here, a couple of hours there. And we leave him on the shelf in a jar, ready to break the glass in an emergency if we need him. We so easily forget Jesus, don't we? We forget what he's done for us. And so often we're prayerless, we're thankless, and we're self-reliant. I know I am. Are you? Well, three things tonight to help us remember the cross, to help us to remember Jesus' rescue. First thing to remember, remember the Lamb. Remember the Lamb. Let's just skip back to chapter 11, verse 4. We'll read from there. So Moses said, this is what Yahweh says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt, and every firstborn male in the land of Egypt will die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn of the servant girl who is behind the millstones, as well as every firstborn of the livestock. Then there will be a great cry of anguish through all the land of Egypt, such as never was before or ever will be again. It was a dreadful night. The firstborn of everyone, from the rich and famous to the nobodies, and even the cattle, was to die. Who here is a firstborn? Who's the firstborn son? Imagine the grief. I would die. My son Johnny would die. Imagine the grief. And times it by a nation. Except verse 8. Against all the Israelites... Whether, the ma- whether man or beast, uh, sorry, against all the Israelites, whether man or beast, not even a dog will snarl. So that you may know that Yahweh makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. God says he will help his people. But this time it wasn't automatic immunity. Did you notice that in the other nine plagues, uh, stuff just didn't happen to Israel? So hail didn't fall where the Israelites lived. And when the plague of darkness came, the sun kept on shining on Israel. But this time, the Israelites had to follow Yahweh's specific instructions. So each family was to take a sheep or a goat, 12 verse 3, and you could share one with your next-door neighbors if you weren't big eaters. Verse 5, it must be a year-old male, unblemished. See, these were to be the very best of the lambs, expensive, free-range, not your Coles budget lamb, organic, premium, perfect, perfect lambs. And then four days later at dusk, after the kids have named the lamb Barry or Brian, after they've got used to it, you were to slaughter that lamb. Slaughter it. Then verse 7, they must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat them. Gosh, you can really feel the tension, can't you? You can really feel the tension under the Israelite roofs. 
Dad, Dad, have you done it yet? No, son, I'm watching the footy. Dad, 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 it's getting late. It's gone to extra time, son. I'll be there in a minute. The roosters are fighting back. Dad, Dad, come on. It's not going to happen like that, is it? They wouldn't be moaning about the price of the lamb or, or taking their chances with a mangy old goat. If your son's life depended on this lamb, you would be ready. You wouldn't be taking any chances. Verse 12. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. I am Yahweh. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. It's pretty chilling, isn't it? Pretty chilling. The Bible doesn't say how the boys died. But what we do know is where there was blood on the doorposts, no son died. The sacrificed lamb meant that the Lord would pass over that house, pass over the Israelites' house. Man, you'd be glad of that lamb, wouldn't you? You would be glad of that lamb. When, uh, when our third-born child, Artie, is over in Kresh, when he, uh, when he was just six weeks old, he got whooping cough. He got whooping cough, which in adults it's fine, but in babies it's a real killer. And I can remember holding him, holding him as he coughed and gasped for air, watching him turning blue. Imagine what it would be like to be an Israelite father that night. I would have done anything for my son, Artie, as any father would in this story. But all the Israelites had to do was slaughter a lamb. The price of a lamb for the life of your son and freedom from slavery. It's a bargain, really, isn't it? It's a bargain. What it does is it shows us how important this lamb is. Massively important. And what it is is a picture of how important Jesus is. See, the Bible tells us we're born into slavery. Slavery to sin and selfishness, to evil and death. And it shows itself in the pressure that we feel in our life, that slavery it comes in different forms. We are slaves to the rat race and to mortgages, to our jobs, and generally just to the ticking clock of life. But Jesus' death deals with our slavery. He gives us a new purpose. He is the true Lamb of God. We've sung about him tonight. And he rescues anyone Anyone who would trust him. See, his sacrifice smashes the chains of sin and the devil and of death. Smashes those things. So the pressure of those things can be no more. Well, how important is the death of Jesus, the Lamb of God? It's really important, isn't it? Well, why often does Jesus... Uh, slots so far down at our priorities list so often. He's paid the highest price for our freedom. 
Well, why do we work so hard for a career rather than his kingdom? God has been so generous in giving us this lamb. But so often we're tight-fisted with our time, our money, and our love. Let's be people who remember the lamb. When we're making job decisions, remember the lamb. Go for the job that allows you to serve him best rather than the job that gives you the highest wage. When we're house hunting, choose the place that allows you to serve Jesus the best. Choose the, the house that allows you to serve the lamb the best rather than choosing comfort and the slavery of a steep mortgage. When we look at each other, let's look at each other like people who the lamb has died for. Let's value each other like that. I guess we need to stop worrying about the future, don't we? We were batting this around in our connect group the other night. What do we worry about the most? And we all said the future, the unknown future. Well, remember the lamb, because Jesus' sacrifice has changed the end game forever. It's changed it forever. We don't need to fear death. That takes us on to the second thing that we are to remember. Secondly, we're to remember the screams. Remember the screams. Look with me at verse 29. Verse 29 of chapter 12. Now at midnight, the Lord struck every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and every firstborn of the livestock. During the night, Pharaoh got up, he along with all his officials and all the Egyptians, and there was a loud wailing throughout Egypt because there wasn't a house without someone dead. These have got to be the two of the most emotionally charged verses in the Bible. Imagine being an Israelite there, hearing the screams as house after house of Egyptians discover their son dead. Imagine waking up to the sound of wailing and rushing into the kids. It's a complete nightmare, isn't it? It's a real nightmare. You really do get the pain. You feel the pain of of these verses. You hear the screams. Cries that have never been heard before and never will again, says in chapter 11, verse 6. What's worse is we're clearly told that these screams are the result of God's judgment. Now, we wouldn't be human if we didn't stop and ask, is this really in the Bible? It's awful, isn't it? But it's worth reflecting on just how cruel Pharaoh's regime was. He turned Egypt into a concentration camp. He ordered the massacre of the Israelite kids for no reason other than insecurity. He really is up there with history's nastiest leaders. Pharaoh was also the abuser of Yahweh's firstborn child. Back in chapter 4, Yahweh says, Israel is my firstborn son. And so these screams show us just how evil Pharaoh was. They're terrible. They're really awful. But... He had every opportunity to let the Israelites go. He'd warned them this would happen back in chapter 4 if he didn't let them go. 
And Yahweh gives him nine warning shots. So you read this and you really do go, this is God's long overdue justice. He knew. He knew. But we're meant to hear these screams and know that there is nothing more terrifying than the judgment of God. As God's judgment falls on his enemies, as it falls on his enemies, it also falls on the Israelite homes. Have a look with me at chapter 12, verse 2. He says, I am Yahweh. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. Why do you think that God says that and then kills the lamb over in the Israelite house? Why do you think he says that? It's not, it's not explicit whether the Israelites were worshipping Egypt's gods. But what we do know is when the judgment of God falls on Egypt, every house in the land is hit, Egyptian or Israelite. Did you notice that? See, the screams of grief that we hear that would be ringing around the country, well, they would be coming from Israelite homes if it were not for the blood of the lamb. See, the lamb is not only a sacrifice, it's also a substitute. See, this kind of swap happens. Swap happens. The firstborn lamb for the firstborn son. The blood is visible, and so it displays the substitute. And so this brilliant swap happens. Chapter 12, verse 13. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Gosh, you wouldn't eat roast lamb in the same way again, would you? The Israelites are told in chapter 12, verse 24, that Mick read out, that they are to eat lamb year after year to remember this substitute. Can you imagine celebrating the Passover 5, 10, 15, 25 years later, eating the roast lamb and then hearing those screams in your head? Imagine that. Looking at, the grand, looking at your grandkids and thinking... If it wasn't for the lamb, they wouldn't be here. Incredible, isn't it? Incredible. Well, how much more should we praise God for giving us his lamb? For giving us Jesus, the substitute, the lamb of God. We should really praise him because these screams not only show us how terrible Pharaoh is and how terrible God's judgment was then, But they also show us how terrible the judgment of God is and will be at the end of time. Now, I know I've just stepped into a cliche, a preacher talking about the judgment of God. But the Bible doesn't get any more serious than when it talks about God's judgment. See, a day is coming when every single one of us will be held to account for how we've treated God. Like the Passover, all that matters is, have we trusted the lamb? Have we trusted that substitute? The Bible is very serious when it talks about judgment. God's judgment is coming. And we need to make sure that we are trusting Jesus. See, nothing really else matters. Our job's our reputation, our church attendance, our good works, our good intentions. 
They don't matter. Only the substitute. It only matters whether we are trusting the lamb. Like Moses warning to Pharaoh, my job tonight is to warn you. God's judgment is coming. And it's terrifying. I wonder whether you noticed Pharaoh was asleep after that great warning. Pharaoh was asleep. He hadn't woken up to see if God had acted on his word. Well, our friends will fall asleep. We may fall asleep and think that God isn't coming to judge the world. But we will face his judgment, all of us, and our friends and our family and loved ones. We will all face God's judgment. And the day Egypt screamed, this terrible scream, well, that will be nothing compared to that day. See, the cross shows us how terrifying God's judgment is, how wrong it is to live your life sticking two fingers up to God and saying, I'll live life my way. That's, the cross shows us how much punishment that kind of attitude deserves. The cross is horrible. It's a horrible thing. As God's lamb dies there, but it's also beautiful. As the substitute dies in our place, His blood in place of mine. His body instead of mine. His despairing cry instead of mine. Should have been ours. Should have been ours. We need to remember God's judgment for our sake and for those we love. Pretty scary, isn't it? Plucking up the courage to tell people about God's judgment, going in with your morning cup of tea and saying, did you know that you're going to face God's judgment? It's not exactly the, 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 the way to win friends in the office. Pretty scary. But it's not as scary as the judgment of God, as this day. We need to remember the screams and remember God's judgment. Well, finally, we're to remember the water. Uh, by verse 31, Pharaoh is a broken man, and, and the Israelites are free people. They've plundered the Egyptians, 36, verse 36. They've nicked all their clothes and their jewelry, and they're leaving like a conquering army. A 600 men, it says, plus women and children, verse 37. But instead of, lead, instead of God leading them up the expressway, up to the promised land, Yahweh takes them round the houses. Did you notice that? Uh, he takes them around the houses. We've got a, a map up here. Have we got a map? Yeah, so the map. No one really knows the exact route of the Exodus. But what we do know is that uh, God says that if the Israelites went up the top, they would have faced the Canaanites. And they would have headed back to Egypt because they would have taken a beating. So he takes them uh, around the houses. Takes them, he takes them around the houses. So at verse 17, they can't go up that way because they'll get a bashing. So he takes them down towards the Red Sea. And no one really knows uh, which of those seas they, they pass, uh, but it's one of those things. Uh, and, and so uh, by, verse, by verse 5, Pharaoh uh, changes his mind. He does the classic bloke trick, and he changes his mind. Instead of letting uh, the slaves go, he races after them with a crack team of 600 of his best chariots, plus all the other chariots in Egypt. Uh, Whether they're up here or down here, 
they are trapped. They're trapped. They're trapped between this uh, rampaging army and they're trapped between the water. And what's happening here with all the uh, weird place names, what hap- what's happening here is a stitch-up. It's a stitch-up. God has led them to a, a dead end. So it's understandable that they would be freaking out. Pharaoh is armed to the teeth, and he is furious. But verse 11 and 12 are shocking. Verse 11 and 12 are shocking. Have a look, with those. look at those with me. Verse 11 of uh, uh, chapter 14. It says, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you took us to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. It's incredible, isn't it? It's incredible that they would say this. But how often are we like them? When hard times come and we say, God, I wish I never knew you. Leave us alone. Well, do we do uh, verse 12 and actually go back and serve those old masters? Do we serve those old masters that call us by name, that say, come, come and worship me. Come back to slavery. We forget that God has rescued us. We forget that Jesus has died on the cross. Verse 13 is gold. Have a look with me. Moses says, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation. He will provide for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You must be quiet. How much do we need to hear this? How much do we need to hear this when we're scared and when we're tempted to go back and serve our old masters? Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation. This is, a, I've got a little slide that shows you what this salvation would look like if they had Google Earth in those days. You have a look, someone's kind of helpfully reconstructed this rescue as if it was uh, from Google Earth. Have a look with me at verse 17. See, God knows what he's doing despite the craziness of this situation. He says, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh, all his army and his chariots and horsemen. See, God is working for his glory, not Israel's comfort. How much do we need to know that God is working for his glory, not our comfort? Well, verse 21 is the Hollywood moment. It's the Hollywood moment, the moment you push the button on the special effects Moses puts out his hand and the waters part. The waters part, just like in that image up there. And Israel walked to safety. Verse 22, with the waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. Imagine it. Imagine the water either side of you. Water on your left, water on your right, seaweed on the floor, those slippery rocks that you get at the beach underfoot, and squelchy mud. If you haven't seen the Prince of Egypt, watch this scene. It's amazing. Well, Pharaoh follows 
with his chariots and his ninja team. But verse 27, it is game over. Moses stretches out his hand again, and the waters come crashing down on the Egyptians. And we leave this part of the story with hundreds of corpses washing up on the beach, even more Egyptian corpses. Incredibly frightening, isn't it? Incredibly frightening. Well, if you're trusting Jesus tonight, this is the God that fights your corner. This is the God that has your back. And if you're not a Christian, do you really want to go up against this God? He is terrifying. He's terrifying, but he's incredibly good. He's so good that he gives his son to die as our Passover lamb in our place as the perfect sacrifice. Well, remembering the waters helps us remember the cross, helps us to understand the cross, because the cross is where God's enemies are defeated once and for all. And the judgment day that we've talked about, well, God's enemies will be destroyed forever on that day. So all the pain that we feel in in our lives and the misery we see in the world around us, they will be no more because of the Lamb. Like the waters crashing on the Egyptians, God will destroy evil forever. There will be no more death, no more crying, no more mourning, No more pain. That's what Revelation says. Like this day here that we've witnessed in Exodus, God's last day of judgment will be a scary day. But it will also be brilliant. It will be brilliant because we'll see just what the blood of the Lamb achieved. It will be a brilliant day when we will walk to freedom and walk into a perfect world because a lamb has been sacrificed, Jesus, the Passover lamb. Verse 31 is a brilliant summary of how we should respond. It says, uh, When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him. As you look at the Exodus, will you fear the Lord and believe in him? Will you remember the Lamb and think of the Jesus who has bought us such great freedom at such great cost? Will we remember the screams of the Egyptians that show us just how terrifying God's judgment will be? And will we remember the Lamb who's taken our place in that judgment? And will we remember the water and think of the perfect world that is to come because of the cross of Jesus. It's an amazing rescue. It's an amazing rescue. And we should have the cross at the center of our lives. We're going to have the cross uh, narrative read to us. Now Dan's going to come and read to us. Rather than pray all together, uh, let's uh, just, don't open your Bibles and read along. Let's just sit in our seats. And as Dan reads it, why not reflect on how the Exodus rescue helps us understand the cross. Just pray and and reflect, and then afterwards we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper and remembering the Passover lamb together. So just sit and pray and, and listen.